All right, welcome back to another episode of the MAD Podcast, conversations with leaders from across the machine learning, AI, and data landscape with Matt Turk, partner at FirstMark Capital. Today, we have a great conversation with Mike Murchison, CEO of ADA, about the ADA platform, reinventing customer service in the age of generative AI, and how AI should be onboarded and trained like an employee. If you've been listening to the MAD podcast with any kind of regularity, or if you're a first-time listener, why not hit the follow button? It helps us out a bunch, and you'll be the first to know when we post new episodes every Wednesday. Now, without further ado, here is Mike Murchison and Matt Turk. Mike, welcome. You are the co-founder and CEO of ADA, the leading AI-powered customer service automation platform. ADA was founded in uh, 2016 in uh, Toronto, Canada, and has grown uh, very impressively. Today, the company has over 300 customers using the platform, including uh, Meta, Verizon, and Shopify. Uh, and also, Ada has raised over 190 million in uh, venture capital money, including 130 million Series C in 2021, led by our friends at Spark. Uh, and I should add that uh, I am a proud investor and board member in the company, having led the Series A in 2018. But hopefully, we can keep this conversation uh, very unbiased and. Um, Interesting for uh, everyone who's uh, interested in learning about uh, AI, generative AI, and how to build uh, generative AI companies in this new age. So I'd love to start with uh, the founding story uh, of Ada. Why did you choose that specific problem at the time? And how did you go about starting the company? Well, my, my co-founder David and I, as you know, were working on a completely different company. And I guess it would have been 2015. It was a B2C social search engine that kind of caught lightning in a bottle and encountered this customer service problem as a result quite early on in the company's growth. Namely, like we couldn't figure out how to scale our customer service operations in line with our user growth. We had a freemium iOS app and accompanying web app. And we started to see a relationship with our customers change as our growth took off. We went from treating our customers as like real people who we cared about and whose feedback we cra craved to treating them as these anonymous numbers that we were trying to keep at bay. And I think like simply put, Matt, that just really bothered me. You know, I'm a, I'm a very product-oriented person part of what gets me out of bed in the morning every day is I love building powerful software that's delightfully easy to use. And I believe that that software is only built through incredible feedback that one gets from one's users and customers. And I think that the quality of product in, in, in many ways is, is directly correlated to the extent to which customers feel ownership over it. Like there's this concept, I think, of like bestowing ownership to your customers. If you talk to a customer who loves a product, they feel like it's theirs. And that feeling was eroding as our company was growing and as we were scaling our customer service. And so simply put, I became really curious about that. And I, I picked up the phone 
And I asked uh, a bunch of different VPs of customer experience, customer service, how they were approaching their customer service operations as they were as they were scaling. And I asked them, hey, are you talking to your customers more or less as you grow? And all of them said, we're talking to our customers less. Customer service is a cost center. And I'm personally compensated the extent to which I can reduce customer contact over time. In other words, like we were, our strategy is to increase the distance between ourselves and our customers the bigger we get. And my job is to reduce these costs. And when I heard that maybe the like 12th time in a row, I became quite opinionated that these companies I was speaking with, who were some of the most innovative companies in the world, in the world um, I really felt like they were operating on the wrong side of history. Like at some point, I didn't know when, but at some point, businesses who figured out not how to avoid customer contact, but to crave it, those would be businesses that would confer themselves advantages in their respective markets. They would power a much better experience and they would ultimately win. And it was when I, I sort of felt the, the conviction that that was the case that, as you know, we made the tough decision to pivot that business into the customer service world. And I went back to those VPs and I asked them if I could join their team as a customer service agent. And of the 12, seven of them said, sure, we'll hire you. And from a dingy office on the east end of Toronto, David and I worked for seven different customer service teams remotely at the same time, living and breathing customer service for what would become the first year of our company, Ada. And I'd say that that experience answering thousands and thousands of customer service inquiries inside the Zendesk service clouds, the Genesis agent desktops of the world at the time. I'd say that experience taught us three key things. We learned, first of all, that 30% or more of the inquiries we were responding to manually were repetitive, mundane questions. Maybe more like 80% in some industries, some of the companies we were working with. It depended on, on what they were what they were about. Second thing we learned is that the agent experience of responding to customer service inquiries inside this incumbent technology, this agent desktop, human-first technology, was incredibly negative. Like nobody is getting out of bed in the morning going, I can't wait to spend more time in my agent desktop or customer, my, my Salesforce service cloud. Like that's not a, that's not a, that's not a piece of software uh, as robust as it is. It's rarely a piece of software and, and the software products that are like it, that that people feel ownership over, that they feel a sense of delight or a sense of empowerment around. And the third thing we witnessed was that every one of our colleagues, they all wanted to offer a more, more modern customer experience through modern messaging channels. In other words, they wanted to turn on channels like WhatsApp and SMS and Facebook Messenger and Instagram DMs. And that idea of communicating digitally through modern messaging infrastructure, modern messaging channels, was repeatedly rejected. It, it was a better experience and it was repeatedly rejected because it was viewed as ant, being antithetical to the customer service strategy of reducing the number of contacts that you have. And so it was very interesting to us to learn that, you know, this better experience that was universally regarded as a much better experience was being withheld um, despite the customer experience team advocating for it. And so it was on the back of these 
three learnings that we continued to fight the temptation to write a single line of code. This whole exercise of, for us was fundamentally about experiencing customer service firsthand as agents and learning ourselves about truly the challenges of, of delivering an incredible customer service experience inside the all the tools that were available at that time. It was on the back of those three learnings that we set out to be the most productive agents. And Matt, like we literally became agent number one or two on the leaderboard of these seven companies. We just outworked like each other. We, we pushed each other and we worked really hard. And there's literally like a leaderboard in these products. And Dave and I were literally agent number one or number two. And we saw some pretty amazing results as a result of our hard-earned efforts, which often required us, you know, waking up at like three in the morning to answer like our 100th, how do I reset the, my password email yeah. inquiry. We saw that churn went down in these businesses. Like it turns out if you respond to customers more quickly, they like your business more. Big, big surprise, but it was it was great to see that that validation that if you respond to people quickly, they're more retained. We saw that agent attrition rates fell. And that was a little bit more illuminating to us. Um, and it, as many of our listeners uh, familiar with customer service might know, agent attrition rates in customer service are, are exceedingly high. I mean, in the enterprise, customer service attrition rates are north of 40%. In the pandemic, they got as high as 80%. In some industries, they're hanging at 80%, meaning that 80% of your colleagues aren't with you over a 12, a 12 uh, after 12 month period. And so it's very expensive for that reason for companies to train and onboard new employees when, you know, job satisfaction is so low and attrition rates are so high. What we found is that we could improve attrition rates. We could improve employee retention uh, amongst our colleagues because they like their jobs more. We were handling all the complicated, all the, all the annoying mundane stuff and our colleagues could all handle the more complicated, interesting work that led to them being more retained. And then the third thing we saw was that the data that we were privy to, customer service conversation data, was just this powerful data set that was underutilized. It contained sales opportunities, product insights, strategic info that we felt should have been informing company strategy, should have been informing different departments' decision-making, but instead was siloed in this one department that no one really thought of or cared much about. And it was on the back of that sort of manual, not even sort of, very manual effort that we, we felt like we'd validated our software before it even existed. And so the problem for Ada, what became Ada, to solve was how do we replicate this value we've created manually? How do we do that through software? And it was there that we took an ML approach because we had access to so much data. And we focused on making the ML techniques we were employing as easy to use as possible because all our colleagues were non-technical. Mm -hmm. So Ada became about empowering the customer service organization to elevate their customer experience using AI. We wanted to give them control, put them at the steer in the steering wheel. And it was, it was sort of the big aha moment for us that really birthed our company was when we built the first version of Ada and we let it run inside the seven companies that we work for and we didn't get fired. <laughs> and when that happened, we knew that we were onto something and the rest of the last sort of six and a half years has been about bringing Ada to more companies and improving its capabilities.
Great. I, I love that story so much. Thanks for uh, telling it so so well. Um, you know, talk about uh, living and breathing the, the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, so fast forward to today. Uh, obviously, it's been a few years of uh, with a lot of building, a lot of progress. Uh, what does the uh, ADA platform look like in terms of um, uh, capabilities, integration, uh, overall design philosophy, different components, uh, any 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 way you want to take it? Sure. Well, our product's mission hasn't changed. Its capabilities against that mission have changed significantly and continue to. Our product's vision is fundamentally to be the AI platform that helps businesses automatically resolve the greatest number of customer service inquiries across all channels, across all languages, with the least amount of effort. And so to, to actually deliver that, there's several really key components to our software. The first is we're all about, as I mentioned earlier, low effort, ease of use. That translates into no code builder environments, very easy to understand reporting. It's deeply integrated into your business environment. Um, and really the enablement of non-technical customer experience leaders to um, build with and learn from AI tooling. So that's the, the first component. The second component is that we integrate into your entire company's, like it's, it's like all the, all the data across your company that's most important for your customer experience. Um, and so that, that we have a whole set of knowledge integrations that make it really easy for you to build an intelligent bot that is grounded in the knowledge that your team has created. That could be in a help center. It could be an in internal documentation. It could be in technical documentation. It could be in a variety of PDFs you have stored in some server you don't know about. We unify all that knowledge really seamlessly and make it easy for you to um, automate conversations with it in an intelligent manner. Third, we have a uh, ability to sit seamlessly on top of your existing agent software and hand off whenever your AI needs the help of a human agent, we hand off seamlessly into an agent who may be a call center agent who lives in Genesis or a support agent who lives in, in Zendesk, for example. And so there's a lot of uh, routing and uh, agent uh, uh, desktop integration work we've done to make that experience seamless. And then I'd say finally, the, the last sort of major component is we're really big on going beyond simply enabling you to automate an answer or a question for a, one of your customers to enabling you to take complex action on their behalf. And this is where Ada really starts to become quite magical for many of our customers and how they deploy us, is that it's pretty magical for a, a, an AI to be able to understand who you are, have perfect memory of your entire relationship with you have access to all the systems that formerly, you know, the only the most privileged manager could control on your behalf and be able to do so and, and be at your command any time of day in any language in any channel that you need. Um, and that that's, that's what's resulting in an experience that I think is increasingly bringing us much closer to our vision, which is a, a world where every customer interaction is resolved by AI. What's an example of an action? An action would be, um, uh, anything that we formerly required a customer service agent to click around in a backend system to perform. So it could be a, an order refund, could be a, an account lookup, 
Uh, it could be a payment that's processed. Anything that that formerly uh, required access to a separate system and is making uh, some form of API call uh, to execute. Mm -hmm. Great. So as, as you uh, mentioned up front, uh, Ada has been an AI native or ML native company from uh, the get-go, but obviously uh, this was uh, before the uh, current uh, hype and craziness mm -hmm. and excitement around uh, generative AI. So uh, you, you, you clearly reacted to this very quickly because you announced, uh, first of all, a partnership with OpenAI, I think, uh, at the end of last year, and then uh, launched a uh, suite of generative AI product uh, in, in, in April. But uh, maybe take us behind the scenes. Uh, how does a, a company like you that you know has an AI product, has an AI um, slash ML, team when uh, a, a, a massive innovation uh, like generative AI comes to the fore and becomes not just something that engineers are excited about, but that the whole world uh, gets obsessed with. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here. Uh, so I'm excited to get in it with you. So I think I think overall, I guess uh, my, my overarching view is that model, we live in a very interesting moment in tech, in tech history um, because I believe that model capabilities continue to outpace their application. And that that's sort of that's new in, in in my at least in my view with regards to you know how builders of technology and how they how they operate. You know, in other words, many of the foundation models are capable of doing far more than we realize. Still, like literally the ones that anyone can access today. And therefore, um, I think it behooves the the companies who are building with large language models, certainly those that want to be building at the frontier of, of AI, it behooves them to organize themselves in a way where they can discover what those new capabilities actually are. And we've thought a lot about this inside uh, Ada. You know, we, as you alluded to, are have certainly benefited from the fact that we've been an AI native company from day one. What, what does that mean? It means that the, the sort of atomic unit of our of our product has always been an AI model, not a human. Our pricing and packaging has always been rooted in usage-based pricing. Now, as we'll get into, I'm sure, increasingly value-based usage pricing. Um, but it, I think it, there's still learnings here that apply to any company, even SaaS businesses who are, um, you know, very human-centric and and have business models and, and packaging, you know, connected to say, you know, selling seats. I think that there there are there are certainly lessons that still still apply. A few things that I would uh, encourage folks to to think about. Um, the, the first is that the actual like skill set required to discover new model capabilities, new model use cases, I think has changed. Um, I think it's actually no longer the case that you need a PhD in machine learning to understand and push the frontier of what uh, an ML model is capable of. And I would actually say that, that I actually believe that the folks who are gonna discover the newest capabilities are actually less likely to come from those backgrounds. It's not to say that ML teams who have those backgrounds aren't valuable, they are, and they're probably even more valuable than before. But the, the number of folks who are involved in discovering new model capabilities is gonna expand, it needs to expand quite dramatically. 
A good example of this recently was we enable everyone inside ADA with their own ADA GPT, essentially a language model that we encourage everyone to default to interfacing with anytime you're trying to do any work at all, period. And we try to set the expectation that large language models are advancing so quickly that you should, you need to expect that the model is capable of doing far more than you realize. And if the model fails, you need to assume that it's your fault, not the model's fault. We're trying to teach everyone inside ADA to be good AI managers and borrow many of the lessons from, you know, good good people management that we've learned. I think great people managers know that if one of the reports doesn't perform, it's their fault. It's not the report's fault. They didn't communicate effectively or they didn't, they didn't orient them their report properly. It wasn't a, an issue with, with the with the the person, it was an issue with them, the manager. I think the same thing is true with with AI um, for those who are trying to build the frontier. But an example to bring us back of of this working really well uh, from perhaps unexpected sources came just recently for us. We are doing we do a lot of data manipulation and data analysis with language models inside Ada, and we were struggling. We had a, a couple of teams who were collaborating. We were struggling to manipulate a large data set. And there are a lot of data scientists working on this problem. There were a lot of ML folks. Uh, our product team was involved. And it was actually a CSM from a non-technical background who created the prompt that actually solved the problem. And they, what they did is they instructed the model to behave more like a mathematics teacher. And it was that simple change to the instructions of the model that required the perspective taking of, you know, this our our our, our customer success manager that no one else who was more technical than that person had thought of that actually led to the unlock. And I think that's just a small example of of why I think the skill set of better of of higher empathy, better perspective taking is going to be rewarded in this shift to becoming more AI native and then pushing the frontier of model capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot more I could talk about in that. Yeah, part yeah. Want, no, and 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 no, no, it's super interesting. And then at a practical level, uh, on the Ada platform, you started what having uh, multiple models behind the scenes at sort of the core. Is that like some open AI, some homegrown? What what's yeah. uh, what's happening so, there at that level? Sure. So Ada, you know, initially started uh, you know seven years ago, um, really as an NLU company. We had a you know a core model that you were you were um, you were always improving as a customer of Ada um, was a and continues to be an intent classification model, and we employed large language models um, uh, throughout our history initially to augment the folks who live inside Ada, the AI coaches or bot managers who live inside Ada to manage and improve their bots over time. And our the language models, the, the generative AI, were being used to really enable them to be more productive, but not to generate answers in runtime uh, for end customers like we do today. And so um, today that has changed. Now, um, because of the large language, large language models have crossed a fundamental quality chasm, as we as we see. Um, the best experience, the most highly resolving experience that you can build with Ada that's really like exceptional, it actually 
um, has a large language model at its core that is that is making that is generating an answer and executing a, a workflow um, in runtime so that every generation essentially every conversation between your brand and one of your customers is unique and underneath the hood there's as you alluded to there's a bunch of different models that are that are um, involved in that and we take away the complexity for our customers around what those are so they don't have to think about it and what's changed on the ML ops side, or it hasn't actually changed, but it's more, it's more been like supercharged, is the, the infrastructure we've built around um, switching between different models uh, mm -hmm. efficiently um, and in a manner that optimizes for what we call our, our resolution rate. And so we, we're becoming very good at being able to take away essentially automatically leverage the model or combination of models that's going to maximize the quality of customer service conversation at any point in time. And we think that's really important, uh, particularly in an environment where the models themselves are evolving so quickly and the number of models and their capabilities are evolving so quickly. Mm -hmm. So part of the idea is to sort of future-proof the company by creating uh, an infrastructure that enables you to sort of hot swap whatever model capabilities become available. Is that to play it back? Is that correct? That's right. I mean, I'd say it's more than hot swap. It's more like optimize a combination or ensemble of models that's going to maximize the, the quality of customer service experience. Right. And to, to give you an ex just one example of, of a very simple version of that, the code level in ADA, you know, we make two different large language model API calls. We make a fast call and we make a smart call. And they're two, they leverage two different models at any given point in time. And we optimize, you know, from a series of a bunch of different models behind the scenes around which actual one qualifies as the best smart model or best fast model at a given point in time. But there's a it's very interesting to think about how, you know, the the principles that govern human cognition, or anyone's read, you know. Yeah, thinking, thinking fast and slow. Thinking fast and slow are increasingly showing up in, at the code level how we build, you know, software. And um, I think that you know it's sort of through that paradigm that we think about. We always want to be using the fat, the smartest model, and we always want to have the fastest model too. Both are really important to us. And you know that's how we think about you know ensuring that our customers are always working with the best technology at all times. And as you put it, we're, we're future proofing our customer service AI. Fascinating. So thinking about the uh, implications of all of this, not just for ADA, but for um, customer service in general of today and, and the future powered by AI. Um, so what one consequence that I've um, seen you and, and the company talk about um, is uh, what it may mean to have an AI first strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, including uh, the concept of going beyond containment and think about success in terms of automated resolution. Can you uh, talk to this in, in more detail? Absolutely. This is one, I think, one of the exciting things about um, some of the innovation out of ADA this year. So as, as you know well, uh, as a board member of ADA, you know, we've spent a lot of our company's history annotating customer service conversations man manually. And we've developed a deep understanding of what a good customer service conversation is and what a bad customer service conversation is. But starting this year, we've now trained models, specifically an AI model, to 
understand the quality of a customer service conversation better than a human. And this to us represents a fundamental shift in the future of how customer service AI is going to be measured and how the amount of value that businesses are going to be able to get out of customer service AI as a result. I'll walk through what I actually mean by that. But the general, general principle here is like many of us are familiar with the fact that you know, AI can understand and, and process an MRI better than a human physician. This has now just happened with customer service AI, where like AI understands a customer service conversation better than a human. W what essentially um, this, this means is that most of the customer service AI industry, you know, over the last 10 years has focused on a metric called containment or deflection for measuring its its value. What, what essentially that refers to is whether or not the AI uh, powered a conversation that involved a human agent or not. But it doesn't actually address or understand the quality of the conversation that was involved. Turns out a lot of conversations that were contained by the AI, by the chatbot, weren't actually that helpful. I think many of our listeners have had the experience of speaking with a dumb chatbot and being highly frustrated and perhaps just simply closing the chat or hanging up the phone and, and leaving the experience. Um, I think most people have continued to have had a mostly negative experience with chatbots. Um, I think it is playing a key role in shifting that perception, but that, that has been, I think, most people's historical or co common experience. What resolution or automated resolution does is it not only measures whether or not a human agent was involved, but it also measures whether or not the conversation was accurate, whether or not it was relevant, and whether or not it was safe. And so we're giving our customers this added level of intelligence when we're zooming in on all the conversations that they're powering with their AI, with their customer base. And we're, we're, we're optimizing via our resolution engine all their AI towards having more of these high quality conversations and fewer of those frustrating ones. And we're so big on this measure that not only is it the North Star measure of our entire company, but we're increasingly pricing, enabling our customers to price according to it. So we're actually only going to charge you for a conversation that's automatically resolved, that meets this really high quality bar for what, what it means to actually have a positive experience with your, your AI. Right. So to play back, what would you saying is that um, AI has had a perhaps a step function improvement in terms of its quality of results and therefore not just ADA, but the entire uh, AI powered customer service industry should have a much higher bar and it's time for everybody to step up and that's the end of shitty chatbots and instead like everyone should focus on chatbots. That, that that actually solved the problem, otherwise it doesn't count and it's a terrible experience. That's right. And I think there, it actually, I'm actually, I actually think this is this is this will be true for all of software. I think that um the because of the quality of large language models reasoning capabilities specifically, I think we're gonna see a major shift, not only away from seat-based pricing towards usage-based pricing but actually on a very particular value-based type of usage pricing where software vendors are only going to increasingly charge for the value that they're actually creating. And so in our case, that means we're only going to charge you for, the, for a really valuable customer service conversation that we powered um, and not for ones that weren't. 
and we're going to see fewer and fewer proxy measures for value in our software industry. You know, a seed is just a pretty weak proxy for the value that the software is creating. Um, you know, a conversation is an okay proxy, but a really valuable conversation is one. And so I think we'll see this, you know, you, you know, the data infrastructure layer better than I do as an investor uh, in it. I, I think that we'll see that um, this trend continue far outside of just customer service. Great. So also as part of this um, AI first strategy, you sort of alluded to it a little bit in the context of um, employees at, at Ada, but there is this um, concept of onboarding the model like you would a new employee. Um, so if, if I'm a customer and I'm, I'm I'm trying to work with one of these AI solutions, whether homegrown or through a uh, vendor like like Ada, what, what what does that what does that mean? So I think so the the the, the paradigm here is that. Um, well, let, let me, let me zoom out here for a second. I think the, the, what does it mean to be AI native? Um, well, I, I alluded to this earlier when we were, we were chatting that like being an AI native company means that you are, you know, your humans are augmenting your AI model, not the other way around. But the reason, the reason for that is because I think that we're at this very profound moment in tech history where AI's impact is going to be as profound, maybe even more profound than the internet's impact itself. And the reason for that is because if, if the web made the cost of distribution essentially free for businesses, what AI is doing now is AI is making the cost of cognition essentially free. And so because of that, AI native applications really need to be treated as employees. This is a, a truly capable AI application, really is no different than a labor source that was hugely, it was formerly connected to human cognition, but, but, but it just so happens to be, to be AI now. And so the best applications, I believe, are going to be onboarded in a manner that are not that dissimilar from the way you formally onboarded a, a human employee. Uh, in our case, we you know, make it easy for our customers to onboard their customer service AI. Uh, they teach that AI to read, much in the same way that you'd give a new employee the ability to you know, read your, your, um, you know, your, all your culture decks and onboarding materials and job descriptions and what enablement. We make it really easy for you to train your AI with a, all the content across your company. We then um, try to make it easy for you to enable your AI to actually do things. So instead of just a new employee who showed up who you know, knows the policies, we want them to be able to actually get access to everything so that they've got access to all applications that you use so you can actually do work. And so for us, that looks like all the integrations that are, enable your AI to take action on your behalf, create a ticket in Zendesk, um, you know, uh, process a payment with, your, with Stripe, uh, you, you name it. And then third, and this is where, where things I think get most exciting uh, for, for our customers, is, is we enable your organization to coach your AI to improve over time. And it's here where I think there's a really interesting intersection, or perhaps a longer podcast for another time, around the relationship between modern HR practices and AI native applications. Like there's a whole new school of thought here around like, how do you improve how do you give your ai feedback what does a one-on-one -on -one with your ai look like and how do you how do you do that most effectively 
And what's the performance review? That's right. And increasingly, that is what ADA enables for our customers. It's essentially a one-on-one -on -one with your customer service AI where you are coaching it to get better over time. And the structure of that, again, is not that dissimilar from what we all know very well, which is a you know one-on-one -on -one that you might have with a member of your team. So what, what does that mean in terms of customer service team? How do you restructure your existing customer service team in the age of AI? So our, our, our customers have been doing this now for six years. And we've learned a lot in partnership with them around what's worked well and what hasn't. And what has worked best is what we've packaged in what we call the ACX framework, the Automated Customer Experience Framework. Essentially, this framework takes your organization from being an agent-first organization to an AI-first organization in three simple steps. Uh, first, uh, we enable you to automate as much low-hanging fruit as possible. Um, uh, we offer a, we call a 30%, a th we call it 30 and 30, but a 30% resolution rate in 30 days. Um, so we get you rapid value very quickly. Um, we then enter an integration phase where we integrate with all your business systems, enable you to go beyond you know, simple answers to taking actions like we mentioned. And then the final phase is we elevate, and that enables you to um, turn not only your organization to one that's far more efficient, but also one that's revenue generating and uh, that enables your, you to turn your contact center into one that's cross-selling and upselling customers and reinvesting savings in novel ways. Typically, what this looks like is the formation of an ACX team that grows into an organization over time. And that team is initially staffed, we most often see, with the top performing members of your existing customer support team. So the top two or three folks who have the highest empathy, who are perhaps the most um, savvy with regards to your product or service and uh, whom you want to coach uh, and offer a new career path to, they get promoted into roles uh, called ACX managers or AI coaches, and they live inside your, your, your uh, platform all day. The second part that we typically see is we see a promotion of folks into new advocacy roles. And so the, the AI savings are, are, uh, are banked and often reinvested into new teams that are spun up that are tasked with offering a higher level of service to your customer base. IKEA did this recently in the form of uh, reinvesting their AI savings into, I believe it was design consultants that uh, they, re they retrained from former customer service agents who are calling customers to help consult them on how to better put together, combine different IKEA products as an example. So those are the two major changes that we typically see, the formation of the ACX org, which grows over time, and the reinvestment into advocacy-related positions. Yeah. And what should they focus on um, as you know, different levels of sophistication in their ramp-up of the AI? I'm, I'm thinking, you know, going from uh, content creation to you know, more generative kind of like replies and actions. I know you have a, a scale here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, so. In general, like the goal is to get to 100% automated resolution. And in order to get to 100% automated resolution, and, and by the way, if 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 you can if you can get there, which I believe we'll, we'll have customers who get there in the next within the next two years, we have customers today who are north of 
um, the, the biggest hurdles to overcome to actually get there uh, are actually interestingly primarily cultural. You would think it would be technological, but it's, it's actually interestingly cultural. And it's the organizations who are able to put the most weight behind the importance of their customer, the future of their customer experience strategy, the formation of their ACX team, and give them like really top-down enablement and 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 spotlighting. Really, we often see remember, you know, highlighting your ACX organization's impact regularly. Your town hall, for example, is a, a best practice that we, we we see. Those are the ones that 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 get ahead. Um, those are the ones that that overcome most of the downstream blockers that typically get in the way of folks getting more value out of their AI. Um, and interestingly, like one of the consequences of that is we typically see the ACX team become almost like this, this AI hub inside their business that informs the rest of the company around how to get the most value out of AI and other areas of the customer experience, and even internally too, the employee experience. So it's a really like fast track way to, uh, I think, coach the rest of your company on how to work with AI and show real business impact quickly. The second uh, blocker after cultural is, is often around the, your API strategy. I think a lot of companies overlook the importance of their, their call it their like API surface area, how accessible their customer data is and how accessible their business systems are to um, uh, the, their customer experience team. Um, that's typically an area that we, we see folks overlook. And I think what we try to encourage is certainly far more conversations between chief customer officers and CIOs. I think it's the companies that are, are where you see really good alignment between the CIO and the CCO, where uh, you get the, th those are the folks who are sort of most ahead when it comes to the quality of their, their AI. Great. Any word on, uh, yeah, generative replies, generative actions, what, what do those mean? So generative uh, replies uh, refers to our, our, uh, our, our generative capabilities that allow your bot to be generating answers in runtime um, automatically uh, in a manner that's sort of grounded in your knowledge that you've integrated. And so um, this is, this is it's resulting in customer, essentially a 25 to 29, 30% improvement, percentage point improvement in resolution rate. Um, so it's a, a really major set of capabilities uh, that we're really excited about that have had a big impact on the customer experience. Generative actions refers essentially the same on the API side. So instead of managing your, um, your, your API-driven workflows prescriptively, um, you're, you're essentially just configuring your one API integration once and your AI is deciding, essentially is generating a workflow in runtime and executing it in runtime. And that's resulting in a, um, a much higher percentage of conversations where you're taking action. And that's elevating the quality of experience as a result. So um, that's been also like probably even more exciting than the generative reply side of things. But um, I think just good examples of how uh, our customers are increasingly using ADA to coach their AI to improve and not to manage the prescriptive nature of everything their AI does. There's a growing level of trust that they create uh, between 
themselves and their AI as it becomes more and more capable. Much like, much like you know, we've all experienced as passengers inside semi-autonomous vehicles, more and more, you know, time off the steering wheel. Great. As as we get uh, towards the end of this conversation, I'd, I'd love to touch upon uh, voice, which is uh, an important product launch uh, that um, you guys did recently. Uh, what does that do, and how is that uh, different uh, or not uh, compared to the existing sort of digital uh, AI chatbot product? Yeah, we're very excited about voice. Uh, essentially, voice Ada's Ada Voice allows our customers to extend their AI into the telephone, and that's a really big deal uh, because uh, for many of our customers, the majority of their customer service is still taking place over the phone. And with Ada now, you can manage your AI in one place and deploy it to any channel now, including traditional voice. And there's um, there's not only is that sort of independently exciting, given you know the abysmal nature that like abysmal experience that most of us have had with like traditional IVR trees and like dumb voice AI, um, but it's also unlocking new experiences that um, we call hybrid hybrid experiences, where your voice AI is able to you know send you a text message or um, you know follow up with you on WhatsApp. And it, it's it's really unlocking like true omni-channel experiences. Like we've we've all heard the word omni-channel and have been pitched omni-channel experiences for like a decade. But I think AI, when deployed properly in CX, is actually delivering real omni-channel now. I just it's just beginning to, and that's what that's what Ada Voice represents uh, to us and our customers. So we're I, it's increasingly for us going to be a first-class citizen. I think there's a chance that Ada Voice could be as big, if not bigger, in the next two years than Ada Messaging, and uh, we're, we're we're pretty excited about it. Okay, very cool. Well, that leaves uh, that that feels like a very uh, good place to leave it and and wrap it up. Uh, thank you for joining us today, and it's uh, for, for me really uh, fun to uh, hear you. Uh, talk about the whole story and where we are now, because it gives a sense, uh, you know, for like just the, the unbelievable breadth uh, of capabilities and the history there. I, I said I was not going to gush as a as a proud investor at the beginning of this conversation. So I, I should probably stop here. But um, but what a journey! Uh, where can people find you online? Learn more about your work. Learn more about Ada uh, resources and all those good things. Yeah, um, I think best to, uh, I'm writing a lot more on LinkedIn these days. So feel free to follow me on, on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll, I'll be publishing more of my, my, our learnings of, you know, building at the frontier of AI and CX. And then of course, um, we've got a bunch of exciting stuff coming out on our website, just ada.cx. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Mike, for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us for the MAD podcast. We're back here every Wednesday with new conversations with leaders in the machine learning, AI, and data space. And if you like this show, you can also find the video recording of not only this episode, but many, many more over on the Data Driven NYC YouTube channel. Thanks again, and catch you next week.